0: He was kind of my my role model, um, and even outside of rugby, kind of everything that I wanted to be and more. And it was like, right, what kind of where do I go from here?
1: everyone, my name is Harrod George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard and confronted. In today's episode, I am speaking to Alex Davis. Alex has already had an incredibly impressive sporting career at just the age of 27, being a team member of the England Rugby Sevens. I came across Alex, however, through his work with male mental health charity Movember, who strive to encourage men to recognize their emotions, speak out and be okay with admitting that they're not okay. Alex's affiliation with Movember came after the death of his father in 2015, which led him to an emotional breakdown and a bout of depression. Movember connected me to Alex as he's spoken out about how his father's death, which happened just as his career was due to kick off after university, left him initially lost and trapped in grief, to then deciding that he was going to pursue his dream of playing rugby, not only for himself, but perhaps more importantly, for his dad. Alex welcome to daddy issues and thank you very much for coming
0: on to the podcast thank you very much for having me I'm excited to be here and and uh, unpack what uh, is gonna be an exciting exciting talk
1: yeah same so you actually grew up most of your life with your father Uh which is actually unlike a lot of guests who I have on sure Um, but you lost your dad at that pivotal point in your career which then, you know, just before you were about to sort of embark on professional, am I right? In yeah, that's that, right. Yeah, yeah, and
0: about, yeah, like you said, 2015 yeah, um, was sort of just kick-starting my professional rugby career, which from a young age, when I started playing at about the age of six years old, was a real ambition of mine to go mm. professional. And, and something that I shared with my dad was that, that, that love and, and um, emotional connection with rugby um, we shared that together, especially as he was my coach from a young age, probably up until about the age of seventeen um, and so yeah, as my i guess rugby career was kicking off um and blossoming into everything I hoped and dreamed it would be um unfortunately for my for my dad and my family, his life was deteriorating, um which was obviously a a really tough thing to handle when you're when you 've got such a shared um uh, ambition and connection with with someone and something um to to lose part of that that kind of that why that motivation is is um is a difficult thing to um to manage mm.
1: so where did you grow up and what was that what was your childhood like
0: um so family life for me growing up has always as long as I can remember really been in bristol that's that's home for me. The great southwest of England, which I adore massively. The kind of, although Bristol's quite a, a bubbly Bohemian multi sort of cultural city. Yeah, it's I've quite, heard that a lot. That yeah, it's, it's, it's a,
1: quite sort of the another Brighton. It is.
0: Yeah. Well, that's when people ask me like, what's Bristol like? I'm like, it's like Brighton, just not by the sea.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's got it's got a bit of a dodgy muddy river running through it, but apart from that, it's got a cool vibe. Um, so yeah, I loved going up there, and I, I'm always passionate about going home and and exploring the city more, even though I've grown up there, um, as it changes, like, in time. But, yeah, for me, living in that part of the country was amazing. Like, we used to spend so much of our our summer holidays, like, outside of school, um, down in places like Devon and Cornwall, by the mm-hmm. sea, um, being in the the great outdoors of England, which is wonderful. Oh,
1: a gift. Yeah, real Gosh, gift. So You had a, you had a really, sort of, outdoorsy, active childhood. Yeah,
0: massively, like, exploring. I, I just had, like, this... I felt like I had this innate um, drive in me to climb trees. So being anywhere that green where I could like <laughs> climb a tree, I was like, right, I'm getting up it to the top. My mum was at the bottom like, please don't fall. Just yeah. like crossing her fingers and, <laughs> and barely even be able to watch. Yeah. Um,
1: and what was your dad doing in these situations?
0: Dad was probably at the tree with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. encouraging me, climb higher, <laughs> climb a bigger tree. Let's do it. Um, yeah. But that was like part of him and part of like kind of our... I guess our family identity, like we always threw ourselves into activities, um and and were really ex- like eager to try things. Not and our par- like my parents, my mum and my dad, my dad in particular weren't like would always encourage us to like um to really to really go for something and not and not be held back by kind of the risks of it. Mm-hmm. Um which didn't always pay off. Like, I remember climbing scaffolding outside my house once and swinging on it like monkey bars and falling off and breaking my arms. So that wasn't all good. But it's all learning experience, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you live yeah. and you learn. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've got the battle scars to go with it, um, yeah. as well as the stories.
1: I sort of feel like if someone hasn't grown up to the age of 18 and not broken a bone, that that's a bit weird.
0: Yeah, you need to explore your body more. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> yeah. you, need, you need to feel a bit of physical pain.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's and, growth, isn't it?
1: So childhood, God, it sounds idyllic. Yeah, it was.
0: Ways. Yeah, mass, like, um, uh, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm probably, I probably have been for a large period of my life quite protective of my upbringing and my family. I guess, like, obviously, um, there's, I've realised that obviously there is no perfect upbringing or family, but I think I would, well, unlike, I think there's probably many people, but I loved my upbringing, like my, my, mm. my childhood. I wouldn't change anything. Um it it allowed me to well it's I guess it's molded me into who I am today and it's kind of given me that ambition and drive that's helped me get to being a rugby player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was fantastic and like quite a lot of our f- like wider family like cousins and and f- close family friends were were involved in that like camping holidays away, um, going to Norfolk, Suffolk, and it would often be by the sea, in the sea camping basically i loved camping as you can tell i just can't stop saying the word camping Camping. yeah (laughs) camping and sea camping and sea yeah (laughs) it's awesome like i don't think there's many better places in england when when the weather's good like even this time of year in november Mm. like the the skies are blue the weather's crisp the sun's out like it's it's amazing i think it's it's special
1: i I find it so difficult to be inside those days yeah to sort of actually work with your laptop or whatever i just it feels like such a waste. Yeah, massively. Because those days are just the the best. Yeah. That cold, crisp. Yeah. Sun. It's
0: amazing. Oh. It's just like a real pull, isn't there?
1: Yeah. So ins- I know it's gonna sound so cringe, but it's so inspiring. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, pretty. this is just lifted well, me. What it's
0: God's country, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: I might edit that bit out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm not into that at all. <laughs> yeah, not that bit much. Oh. No, no, the inspiring. Oh, the inspiring. <laughs> no, it's no. Go with it. <laughs> God's country Maybe that bit as well <laughs> Yeah You have siblings A sister
0: I have a younger sister I have yes. a younger sister Yeah that's right
1: Yeah Yeah. So you're quite A sort of classic nuclear family Mum, dad Older son Younger sister Yeah
0: Yeah Great. I guess Yeah A, a normal British um, yeah. British family I guess you could say Yeah And have That's all I know really mm-hmm. Um. And quite a lot of our f- Other family members Cousins As I've already said Family friends Very similar Um and, yeah, n- not much different. Um, and me and my sister are 18 months apart, so we're very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that's that's kind of...
1: that's us. And so going to rugby and going to that relationship that you had with your dad with rugby as a child and then mm. obviously that blossoming into your later years, where did that come about and how, yeah, how did that all start?
0: Um, it probably all started because my dad... Always hoped and wished to be a rugby player himself, yeah. and was like eagerly pushing me on. Me, like, go on, just trying to live his days through me. Um, but now he was a keen rugby player himself uh, from a from a young age, like at university, um, and kind of growing up that that very, especially in his day, that very laddish kind of male environment of of men playing rugby and bonding, and and everyone having like beers afterwards in the clubhouse and things like that, and and um, yeah, so from the age of six, I got kind of—I wouldn't say I was going to say thrown into it, but not thrown into it. I just got introduced at the local club, um, which was Clifton Rugby Club in Bristol, and that's where my dad coached at the time.
1: I see. So he was already the coach.
0: Yeah. So he was already involved in the club, like would occasionally go on vets tours to, to oh, I don't know, random places in the UK, and yeah. and still try and cling on to the dream of playing rugby with all the other older men. Yeah. Um, so that was that was his involvement and then he introduced me to it uh, like i say, at the age of six to to kind of kick start and at that age obviously it's just it's just you're just playing for the love of it the fun of it and you're you're getting involved you're making connections with other guys your age um who don't go to school with Mm -hmm. so it's a great place to meet new people friends Mm -hmm. um and yeah literally from there it just kind of fell in love with it I just thought it was brilliant yeah um,
1: do you think a part of that love was also how much your dad loved it y- and how much he loved you I, doing it
0: yeah definitely yeah I, I can't say it was all me like obviously I could see the the thrill and the enjoyment he got out of seeing me enjoying myself on the pitch mm-hmm. um, and being be able to express myself and um, obviously the rugby field is a great it's a great arena for for young boys to kind of just go well young boys and women nowadays just to go wild and just kind of um to a certain extent like, like express themselves mm-hmm. um and so yeah my dad definitely was i wouldn't i wouldn't ever well i don't know i wouldn't ever say he was a pushy parent but he definitely kind of we were a rugby oriented family mm-hmm. like rugby was always part of our family whereas football. Not so much, which obviously like a lot of, the majority of probably families in in England, Mm. football's number one.
1: You sort of pick one side or the other, don't you? Yeah, you you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we picked rugby. (laughs) Yeah.
1: The gentleman's sport. Yeah,
0: well, gentleman's (laughs) sport played by hooligans. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) And if you're focused on rugby and your dad's a coach, on top of that, you obviously were very talented in it. It wasn't just a passion and a love and your dad would have spotted that talent. And so your life must
0: biased 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 talent yeah <laughs>
1: you do hear of people's dads are coaches to them they seem to do incredibly well and i don't know if that's a. Co- I want to talk about the sort of pressure of that on top of the sort of lifestyle mm-hmm. and as you've once quoted filling your father's shoes like that sort of pressure that comes with that but your life if we're staying chronological as a teenager must have been very structured because you had this important sport to stay on top of yeah so tell me about that
0: yeah. Um, I think growing up watching rugby like that back in the day, especially when, when I was kind of young, I say probably between the age of sort of like 12 and 17, like Johnny Wilkinson was the poster boy. Mm. Everyone wanted to be Johnny Wilkinson. Any sort of young English player growing up was like, he's the man. That's what mm. I want to be. When I grow up, similar to people who fell in love with football it was what kind of like watching David Beckham. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that was, that quickly became my ambition. Um, and honestly it probably became a fair bit of a distraction for me as well in terms of like i would much rather be outside playing rugby than i would be in the classroom like hands down Mm -hmm. um, i'll 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 admit it back in the day i was probably very naive and stubborn and be like no like mum and dad trying to push me into the classroom or the teachers trying to encourage me to work and and yeah i probably just wasn't i just i just had i had this desire to be outside playing rugby and And I guess I probably almost fell into a bit of a trap being like, this is all I can do and spend my life doing Mm -hmm. um, naively. But I I just, I just, yeah, I had a, just a love for it. It wasn't anything much more than that. It was, it just felt like it was a real freedom, like being out on the pitch. You could just, it was almost like a, a, a kind of a, another identity, I guess that rugby player identity. And that's what I, that's what I wanted. Um, and so, school probably took a bit of a, a backwards, mm. a backwards step. Which, looking back on it now, I probably regret. Like I, I should have spent, not that I, I completely ruined my my school time at school, but like I didn't probably spend enough time in the classroom or enough attention on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back at it now, and that's probably I don't like to have regrets, but if I was to have maybe one or two, that would probably be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and i can't say like it hasn't paid off well because I, I wouldn't probably be in the position i am now if it hadn't if i hadn't I made some say, of those at least choices. It's worked out. <laughs> yeah so i won't say it was all wasted but like yeah it was um it was like this burning desire yeah. to go right rugby's the one.
1: yeah and so when so speak so you had a good relationship with your dad throughout the, all this time.
0: yeah he, he, he obviously like i said earlier he was probably a bit biased like he would he would love me to be the the man of the match or as every parent yeah, would obviously yeah like my son scored the winning try or so did the winning tackle or something like that so but i'd, I'd say we, we always had a good relationship uh he would he would be more than happy to drive me to rugby matches in the north of england or mm. take me away for camps or like even if it was at an expense might like buy me some new boots which obviously if you're playing week in week out can often happen two or three times a season and and mm. and and I was always wanting the brightest pair or the the newest the newest models. So it's yeah. like, Dad, I want those ones. Just being like some little kid, and and he would he would do that for me. Yeah. And I was like, and probably at the time, I would just I wouldn't be so grateful. But now looking back on it, like I can really appreciate the the lengths he went to 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 help me fulfill um, my dream. Mm. Um, yeah, I was probably just back in the day a bit of a, a bit spoiled. I was just like. Dad, it's yeah, like, well, we all are. Then. Yeah, we absolutely. all are. So... Yeah, and but that's what he wanted to do as well. Like, mm. well, I think he wanted to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. he's going. Uh-uh. Yeah, unwillingly <laughs> paying for these new boots. I bought a new pair like two yeah. weeks ago. I lost them.
1: Was your mum involved with the sort of sporting thing, or was it very much the father and son um sort of uh, unit there?
0: Probably more mostly father and son. Yeah, like that mm. kind of that early Sunday morning trip to the rugby club. Um Mum would uh occasionally be, be found on the sidelines like especially in freezing. the cold winter months yeah <laughs> freezing like probably a little bit miserable didn't want to be there but like cheering on through gritted teeth yeah yeah, um, that'll be me yeah one day yeah we've all everyone's got to do it it's part of the it's part of the role isn't it yeah. yeah with a raincoat on but um the rugby club we were at had quite a good community so like often you'd find maybe um after rugby like all the boys are piling into the showers like get washed up and then the mums might be um This is going to sound terrible, but like some of the mums would bring in food, like and supply like hot hot soup and kitchen in oh, the kitchen okay, we, okay. yeah it <laughs> sounds so misogynistic but like that's just no,
1: that's, that's what happened that's
0: yeah what but happens. like that yeah. was what probably 15 or so years ago and that's that's kind of how it was especially yeah, at our yeah, rugby completely. club me and dad were out on the pitch and, and mum and a lot of the other mums and my sister probably were inside like making sure we had some hot soup for when we came <laughs> off the pitch which back in the day was the best thing about Ever. rugby yeah. yeah forget scoring the winning try you were like yes kind of kind of coke some hot <laughs> chips and a hot oh. cup of soup you're like dreamy. Oh my god. Is everything you wanted?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually the dream yeah. especially when it's so cold you've been doing lots of running. Oh my god. Yeah, so
0: realistically the mums were the, the unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, they were in the back. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> like grinding.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so you then went to uni.
0: Yeah, went to university, yeah.
1: Which uni was that? Loughborough. Loughborough. Yeah. And you continued obviously playing rugby. It was yeah. very much a love of your own as well as like a father and son activity. Mm-hmm bonding um and then it was during this time i believe that your dad got diagnosed that's right Yeah. with
0: yeah acute lymphoblastic leukemia um so actually before then and i'm I'm probably going to get the dates wrong so i won't i won't try but he a, a few uh, maybe two three four years before that was actually a, a diagnosed with prostate cancer mm-hmm. and that was kind of our first experience well certainly my first experience in in our family and and I guess, close friends of cancer. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't, apart from like in the media or things like that, I'd never really heard it spoken about or the word mentioned, um, in terms of someone close to us living with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, that for, for us as a family, that came as a real big shock. And obviously, fortunately, prostate cancer is, is a very preventable disease. Um, it's, it's something that obviously men do die from but at the same time it can be it can be treated if found early enough and and men are willing to go through the the various tests to to find out so that was yeah that was actually before my dad was diagnosed with leukemia in 2000, 2013 i yeah. think it was um yeah he was diagnosed with prostate cancer which at the time we thought was going to be a very routine um Kind of diagnosis and treatment, mm-hmm. but unfortunately for my dad it wasn't um he ended up having or going down the route deciding to have his prostate removed, which was um yeah routine kind of surgery uh, mm-hmm. but unfortunately things didn't go to plan there those complications um in terms of like he had various infections ended up in in intensive care um had lots of kind of various bleedings swellings and And then probably from the period of when he had that surgery to then being diagnosed with leukemia, it was just a rough. It never really like the actual cancer itself wasn't an issue, but it was kind of all the side effects from that, like Mm. uh, issues with his skin, yeah, those sort of things. Um, And so for him, like having been involved in that rugby environment as a as a as a man himself, it was and probably. That whole male stigma of like not being being a very proud man like the the macho kind of character he he, it it was a real knock i guess for him and and that's something we me my mum, my sister have recognized like since his death is that he wasn't one to speak about how he was and his emotions and and how he was feeling and so to look back on it now he was definitely kind of you can tell it was it was tough um period for him but he would obviously put on that kind of brave face to protect us, probably me and my sister in particular. Um, and that was just, I guess, that's probably what he felt his role was. And that's, I guess, maybe an influence of his dad, who who also, who also died when my dad was 19. So, like, there's that kind of, that history, I guess, from his father and then my father, and it's just kind of almost been passed on a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of... Pr- pre his leukemia diagnosis in 2013 when i was at university so for like a period of sort of four or five years it was quite a a complicated um uh tough time Mm -hmm. um but yeah especially whilst i was at university like i i didn't i there was times i really didn't enjoy the whole kind of um because I wanted to make a real effort to go back and forth to Bristol to spend time with him and my mom and my sister make sure they were okay and like you've touched on kind of almost stepping into his shoes trying to be that kind of um man of the house figure mm.
1: um And how what was his health like during this time? Um
0: cuz was,
1: was this was this with um this wasn't with ALL this was with prostate yeah, cancer Yeah prostate
0: it was pretty good like up until up until his diagnosis diagnosis for um ALL, leukaemia, he was like having regular checkups for his prostate cancer and he would be cycling to and from these checks. Right, yeah. And, but that's like, as I've kind of touched on already, that was his character. Like he didn't want anything to kind of stop him. He was like, I'm going to go for this and this thing's not going to beat me, that kind of attitude. Mm. Um, And yeah, so his health was pretty decent Um, and it wasn't until he was going for a checkup for his prostate cancer, hopefully to get the all clear that mm-hmm. he mentioned with my mum that he was noticing a number of kind of cuts and bruises, mainly on his hands and feet that weren't, weren't healing properly. Um, and this was around Christmas time in 2013. And um, his radiologist at the time was basically like, well, we need to look into this and got into some immediate blood tests. And yeah, within a day or two on Christmas Eve... Yeah, 24th December 2013 we were told that he was um needed to go straight into the um uh, uh straight into hospital and, and begin treatment. Um literally so we were, go- we were going from hopefully having good news of him being given the all clear to prostate cancer to within 24 48 hours being told that he was he'd been diagnosed with leukemia. So um yeah, it was pretty rough.
1: And that leukemia mm-hmm. how um Serious was it at the time? Is was that something that you thought he could be, or was that a quite a, a bleak diagnosis?
0: Yeah, I I, I remember uh, like vivid memories of um my dad's twin sister and and her family were down for Christmas. Obviously being Christmas Eve, and, and me and my sister were in the kitchen and knew that mum and dad were away at the hospital and um having some tests done and stuff. And I I vividly remember kind of uh, mum mum coming into the kitchen to see me and my sister and and just like physically almost not being able to tell us the news that, that dad had been diagnosed with leukaemia. And I think it was in comparison to when he, they told us about him having prostate cancer. It was it was really kind of shocking. Um, and I think probably the age of me and my sister, we felt it a bit more. Like we were more growing, like, I don't know how old I was, probably like early 20s yeah it would have been early 20s if i was at university and so i guess we were more in touch and had a better understanding of the the um the possibilities of what the yeah. of cancer the reality of yeah, it. yeah exactly um and so seeing like seeing the real emotion on my mum's face and her almost being able, like not being able to like hold her weight oh, yeah. um was yeah well it's just damaging and something that like i say it's just vivid memories that Mm -hmm. it's almost something that i won't ever forget um
1: absolutely traumatic moment yeah yeah yeah,
0: massively and and unfortunately we had my dad's my dad's sister and her family there which obviously they swept us up straight away and we went down to hospital immediately and and spent christmas eve and christmas day with with dad which was like very very different but like he was chirpy like obviously he'd just been given he'd been given this diagnosis but like it wasn't it wasn't a diagnosis that like you've got X amount of time to live. Like it wasn't terminal mm. there and then. It was we can tr- we can treat this. We're going to do everything we can to try and treat this. Yeah. And we spent Christmas Day in hospital, which is unique. <laughs> but like <laughs> we got we got like stupid Christmas masks and yeah, like yeah. stockings and and all crowded around him whilst he he began his chemotherapy and
1: mm. everyone putting on a brave face. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like
0: and at the time we were just like right. This is. As as shocking and and hard as this is, it's like we're just gonna we're gonna go for it. Like we're yeah. not gonna let this stop us enjoying our Christmas. And yeah. and in particular, that's what Dad wanted. He was like, look, I'm gonna be in hospital. I'm fine here. Mm. Go home. Try and have a nice time. Um, he sounds
1: we, like someone that he definitely wouldn't want anyone feeling sort of bad about the situation. No, yeah, definitely not. He wants to take on all the burden himself. Yeah, massively.
0: Yeah. Which wrongly or rightly. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of person he was. And
1: I think probably a lot of parents actually. Yeah, I
0: think so. I think, men I mean, as I think well. even if, if I was, if I was to be di- diagnosed with yeah. something like that, I would probably be exactly the same. I wouldn't want, <laughs> yeah. like if, if my dad was alive, I would have been the same as much as they would have wanted to, to look after me and make sure I was a care Look,
1: you do you. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm all right. Leave me, Yeah, time. like, we would like,
0: yeah. So yeah. it was, um, and so, yeah, I can't, I don't know for how long he went through chemotherapy and and, and various other forms of drugs and stuff. But um, again, like his prostate cancer, his health was generally pretty good. Like throughout the period, he was, he would cycle to and from hospital to have his drugs and bloods and all things like that. And mm. and I think for us, we kind of thought, well, this is this is pretty good. Yeah. Like this might be all right. Um, and then he was told... Again, I don't know the dates, but he was told kind of right. Um, uh, the cancer, or you're in recession, which is obviously great news. And then I remember um, being in Cambridge in, in a pub, and I sent him a photo of a pint and a packet of crisps because that's like just we'd share a pint and a packet of crisps, me and him. And and I got immediately got a phone call back. And you know when you get a phone call and just like something inside you just tells you that it's not good news because mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect him to to ring me off a pint and a packet of crisps. Although he might have just been very excited at the thought of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he. Cheese um, and onion flavour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what point you That's doing? That's actually kid? my least favourite flavour. I don't know why I said yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Dodgy choice. <laughs> no, really bad choice. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just had this gut instinct that this was not a good phone call. So I picked it up, went outside, and that was when he told me that he'd been back down to hospital, I think, for maybe a re- I can't remember whether it was just a regular checkup or a particular checkup. And. Unfortunately, the, the cancer had come back and it was it was largely more aggressive than it had been last time. And and I think I can't remember what it was then or not long after, but we we're told that it was um, it was terminal.
1: Yeah. Wow. So you heard it was terminal. That's very phone call. Cool.
0: Uh, I think so, from what I can remember. I mean, that kind of whole period... It's all a bit in a haze. Yeah, yeah. like I, I know sometimes me, my mum and my and sister will try and sit down and unpack things and and put bits together and and we've all probably got different stories because we're all in like our own little kind of our minds just buzzing all over the place and you can't focus on one thing and you're trying to take information from doctors whilst also speaking to friends and family and yeah we've almost got different interpretations of what was happening at that time Mm. but I feel like it was around yeah if not on the day when dad told me over the phone that evening because I was like right I'm going I'm leaving I'm going straight to Bristol and seeing them.
1: Do you remember how you felt the immediate emotion like rather than what then came obviously which is sort of coping mechanisms and stuff Mm. like that but do you remember that immediate feeling
0: yeah it was that that real pit of your stomach sickening feeling um and i just i remember i remember taking a moment after putting the phone down and just going sitting by the river and just having a cry basically Mm. because i was just like i guess we'd been hopeful that it was it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to come to this it wasn't going to be something that ultimately would kill him mm-hmm. and so yeah, I remember just having a bit of a yeah kind of that emotional breakdown there and then that kind of overwhelming feeling of right just tears yeah mm-hmm. and that yeah that real sickening feeling of like reality like hitting you and being like okay, I' gotta live with this now and facing it and And then, yeah, I guess that's when you start to, your kind of, yeah, your coping mechanisms start to kick in. But yeah, immediately I was like, distraught. Because he was like a, as I've already touched on with all the rugby stuff, he was kind of my my role model. Um, And even outside of rugby, kind of everything that, I wanted to be and more and like he was molding me not molding me in terms of like trying to make me into something that I didn't want to be or what wasn't supposed to be but he was like my life coach I guess and like at such a pivotal part of my life like early 20s is obviously you're you're a very you're a very influential age um and you're just starting to figure things out in life in your body all sorts um and it was like right, what kind of where do I go from here? Mm. tough,
1: yeah, yeah, and so I was like
0: fortunate that like we've got an amazing kind of family network, as obviously a lot of people do and and so that origin that second diagnosis of kind of the terminal it was like people just fell on us and kind of just there was just like this out this outlay of just love and support and help which obviously is is well appreciated at those kind of times yeah and it's kind of when you i think you probably see the real side of people i've i realized that like probably growing up i had these um I wouldn't say judgments but I guess you 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 f- you think you figured people out and then and then something happens in life something so kind of traumatizing and and damaging to to you as like a family network that yeah you see the real side of people people um I guess there's that there's that there's that human being kind of compassion and love like everything else is forgotten about no matter like past, present, future, what's happened, like people just want to be there for you, and you see the real the real love and um human connection mm. because I think there's that um especially for people that've experienced it, there's that empathy yeah um it's which a- which i didn't which I hadn't felt before yeah it's yeah.
1: actually in in those very dark times a lot of can come from and things exactly like this, where that human connection is shown and is felt and people come together. Yeah. And it is that is something beautiful that can come out of something incredibly dark. Yeah, totally. So going on to... So your dad then lost his battle. Yes. So watching him decline and obviously him being this very outdoorsy, very active... um, Sort of manly in yeah. you know the idea that we have as manly man. Yeah, what was that like?
0: Um, it was a real, like a real adjustment, because um, he was obviously still there in the flesh. In as the as if he was still there as my dad. He was physically there, but yeah, he was just deteriorating rapidly. Because I think it was like a, it was pretty much from being told he was terminal it was like a week later that he died mm. um and, uh, and every time like each time oh I,
1: gosh sorry i've just caught up with what you said when he said he was, it was what you had one week
0: something like that it was roughly about a week yeah oh my god yeah so it was really fast
1: that's almost like a freak accident um, yeah trauma. yeah totally
0: yeah. um and a lot of this time he spent in isolation because of risk of infection and all sorts of things Great. like that so he um Obviously, I don't know because, unfortunately, we probably, wrongly as a family, didn't ask enough questions, but also he didn't speak enough himself. But I imagine, like, from spending a lot of time in that room with him, in his isolation room, it was probably a very lonely place. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, to see him deteriorate like that, I mean, it might... A, long, a lot of the time on the rugby field when we were growing up, my dad would always get compliments on the size of his calves. Like my dad was known for having massive calves. And unfortunately, I've been lucky enough to inherit them. And so I get, oh, got, oh, you've got Nick Davis's calves and things like this. So we share that physical attribute. But like, so like things like that where like real kind of physical features of my dad like would just disappear, like by the time he... He ended up dying like he was he was kind of just like he just wasted away like um because he wasn't able he didn't have an appetite so he didn't want to eat mm-hmm. and obviously like he was he was going through some very um physically taxing treatment like the chemotherapy would obviously make him sick he'd be on like copious amounts of steroids to try and keep certain levels up or down um and they would mess with his weight um and also mess with like, I remember for for maybe for the last forty hours of his life, he was kind of pretty much like in an induced coma. Like the, obviously, we we knew it was just a matter of time and waiting. And it, it, we would be we would we would we literally sat with we sat with him in the hospital room for twenty four forty hours pretty much and well yeah for the whole period. Mm. Um, and he just wasn't there like it was he was there but his body was there but he himself wasn't like it was and it was such a horror there's that you know everyone talks about that kind of that real like do you just let a person die basically like almost like we and we had those thoughts and feelings like if if there was kind of like a switch would you just switch would you just switch it off because like that person isn't there anymore plus also there you can tell like he was moaning and groaning from like the drugs that he was on. He was obviously, and the, the doctors and the nurses would tell us that he'd be having kind of like vivid hallucinations and things like this because of the amount of drugs he was on to keep him kind of pain free. Mm-hmm. And so we were having these like horrible kind of conflicting thoughts. Um And not that we were obviously ever, ever able to go ahead with it or make these decisions, but like we wanted to see him at at, at peace and at rest Um and that was just, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Like I remember literally, and it was quite funny. People told us that sometimes people will often pass away or die when um, when almost a loved one isn't there. Like some somehow there's a subconscious knowing that that person's not in the room. I've heard that a lot. Yeah, and yeah. it was weird. And we, <laughs> I wouldn't say we, ex- we definitely didn't experiment, but like my mum went and sat down and literally within moments of my mum kind of leaving his side, um... I remember being sat next to him holding his hand on the bed and his breathing stopped. And I remember just calling my mum and as soon as she came over, like, within, well, yeah, within seconds, he had died. And it was like, it was so weird that people had told us that. And as soon as my mum left his side, he then died. And I was like, this is like, too, too weird, mm. but seeing like his physical being, um, like just be empty and, and, yeah, in in the end die was just, like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Like, it's, mm. it shouldn't be anything that anyone should have to experience. Obviously, it is a part of life, but it's it's horrible.
1: Mm. But also how amazing that he had you holding his hand yeah. when that did
0: happen. Yeah, I know, and that's what I remember someone telling me for, because I found it quite a harrowing experience, the fact that I was, like, so close to him, at his time of death, like, almost as much as I would obviously have wanted to be there if I hadn't been there, even though I did experience, I was, like, I'd, I was real traumatised by it for a, for a while because, um, like...
1: But it's seeing someone's last breath. Exactly. It's and like that's their what it soul was. Them. Yeah, and I,
0: I think I almost remember him kind of, like, sitting up and opening his eyes and it was, like, almost kind of, like, zombie ghost-like. And, just, mm-hmm. and I remember just being totally... Um, Taken over by that for a long period of time and like not being able to sleep and that's all that was on my mind mm. And just not being able to to rid of those thoughts
1: but- So going to that um I'd love to talk about now Because um, we don't annoy him too long. So I'd I've love to waffling, talk. Sorry. No, no, no. It's amazing. <laughs> so you then obviously had a bit of a moment where You are grieving big-time. This is like a sudden death and yeah. um As much as your dad had cancer, this was a shock and then at the same time, you're back to, you have to try and carry on your life as a rugby player. And that is a lot of focus. It's incredibly competitive. Mm. And it's also the dream that your father had, as well as obviously for yourself. And on top of that, your mother and your sister are grieving. And there's that responsibility that you feel perhaps as the oldest son, yeah. um, which again, I'm stereotyping, but I think that is a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so t- tell me, if you can, some sort of summary over how that then led so your mental health deteriorating affecting your rugby coming deciding actually I'm going to do this for both my father and I and then of course I would love to speak about your work with November and yeah. how that's led us together sure.
0: yeah I'll try and keep it short I know, there's sorry. quite a lot to pack in it's, it's so, all right it's but so much yeah so um yes my dad died in November 20th of November 2015 so four years in like just a couple of days. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Um, and at the time of his death that evening, I remember in hospital, kind of, I guess what you would say, saying your last goodbyes to him. I, I made a promise to myself and to him. I was like, I'm gonna go to the Olympics. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an Olympian, because in 2016, rugby sevens was making its debut at the Olympics, and and obviously that's like the global. Kind of pinnacle of sport, so I was like, "Right, well, I'm, I'm gonna. I promised to myself and to you, Dad, that I'm gonna go to the Olympics." And and so then that obviously kick started a bit of a rollercoaster period of time for me. Had to go back into training, um, which was obviously a great thing because it gave me a distraction and a motivation. But also, I was like, I was just, just kind of a bit lost all over the place. I didn't really have time to grieve because I had a, I had to concentrate on my rugby. Mm. So we're straight back into the World Series. Um, sevens. um, And then I picked up, I had to have ankle surgery in January, Mm -hmm. um, which obviously was like very close to the Olympics. So I I was kind of touch and go as to whether I might make it back, made it back fit, um, was fortunate enough to be selected for Team GB to go to Rio um, to play for Great Britain in the rugby sevens. And obviously having told myself and my dad that I was going to do that was monumental for me and and my mum, my sister. Mm Um, that didn't go to plan. Um, two days before competition, when we were out in the holding camp, I dislocated my ankle in the gym, um, no. meaning <laughs> I missed out on playing. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It, 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 this is just a rollercoaster <laughs> events now, like, oh, um, God. so that, that didn't go to plan, but I can laugh about it now. Yep. Um, at the time you the laugh was, or cry. yeah, and exactly. And <laughs> I've done, I've done my crying, so I'm yeah. going to laugh about it now. Um, yeah, that was well, I mean, yeah, to to have your Olympic deems, dreams dashed at the like the very last hurdle was was um, pretty severe. But you live and learn; you grow from it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so I'm into my sixth season of rugby sevens now. Um, and like I said already, that because I had such a, I had to concentrate so much on rugby, I didn't have that grieving period. And I mm-hmm. think that really caught up on me, especially this year and last year, mm-hmm. because I've had. Well, wow. in the last three years, I've had eight surgeries. Like I've had four this year, three on one of my shoulders. Right, wow. um, so I've had quite a rough run of kind of basically professional rugby and the dream of being a professional rugby player wasn't everything I dreamt it to be. <laughs> I spent most of my time in a hospital bed or in the physio bed yeah. getting someone poked or cut open or something like that. So yeah, yeah. it's not all been fantastic and a flashing lights, oh, and it is signatures, a yeah. Yeah. spikes. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, And all it took was basically, I've done a lot of work with our team psychologist, a woman called Katie Warriner. For a long period of time, probably, I had fallen into the trap of similar characteristics to my dad, obviously picked up his behaviours and things like that. And so um, speaking about my grief and my emotions didn't come naturally to me. Um, Alongside that being a rugby player where you have to be kind of you don't have to be but obviously the stigma around it is to be rough tough ready for kind of any sort of challenge take it on
1: matchy man yeah
0: matchy man not so sure but yeah (laughs) we'll go with that I'll take that Um, and uh, yeah so Katie was uh, has been fantastic and I'm so grateful to have had her support for the last three four five years basically she's been on the the whole journey with me through my sevens career and kind of with dad Mm. and I wouldn't I can't kind of you can't underestimate the power of speaking to someone about it because um, and she really had to chip away at me like worked really hard because I was I was very stubborn to it and and she could tell and, and and she's told me since kind of my emotional breakdown that she could see it coming but she obviously didn't want to make me have it she wanted me for it to come naturally and all it took was one day we were just having a catch-up which we often had week fortnightly and it would just be her asking how things were and that's all it was it literally took her we sat down we grabbed a tea or a coffee and she said how are things and i literally i couldn't even get my words out like it was just like that it was so strange and i wasn't expecting to feel like that but just the power of someone asking if i was okay Mm -hmm. when obviously i wasn't and i just it just cut me up and i finally and I've still got a long way to go with this. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm no finished article, but I was able to kind of really unpack a lot of hurt and um, deep emotion that I would just been holding on to, and just um, I just barred up. Basically, I wasn't mm-hmm. interested in sharing it because probably because there was a lot of pain, and I didn't want to experience it. Um, but when I did, it was such a such a momentous kind of m- m- moment that I was I was very grateful that I'd had it because mm. it was very cathartic.
1: I was going to say also very fortunate that you have a psychologist on the team. Yeah, hugely. Because then you might not have reached out yeah. to a psychotherapist or a psychologist yeah. and found that absolute um, peace that can come, or not peace, but the power that can come from yeah. speaking.
0: Yeah, it kind of is a peace. Like I definitely yeah. felt a sense of it afterwards because it's a weight off the shoulders yeah hugely hugely (laughs) and we're lucky in in the rugby seven setup that we have a like we're very encouraging to one another about um opening up and speaking about being kind of this individual in a team and Mm -hmm. being able to express yourself but i think if it hadn't been for for someone nudging me and kind of like i say chipping away i would probably be still holding on to some of some of the thoughts and feelings now and and it may have had a, a, a damaging effect on on my career
1: yeah definitely because it could have you don't know where grief's going to manifest or what it's going to manifest yeah into. it's it's this weird sort of thing that it becomes something that you don't even realize is connected to it yeah
0: and i remember having quite like extreme thoughts almost like i'd just be kind of like driving in the car and be like "Right, well, i'm just gonna I'm just going to drive to Scotland and not tell anyone and turn my phone off and just (laughs) escape. Yeah. And I still have those thoughts now and then, but I know like having, having had that, that, um, that experience of talking and, and opening up and sharing Mm. that these are kind of, it's not going to happen. I'm just playing with myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Such a human feeling that as well, that
0: escapism. Yeah. And that was. Partly my dad, like he did the same when his dad passed away at young age. He yeah. kind of fled to Africa.
1: And his sort of un, unspoken trauma as well probably yeah. then passed on to you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But we've
1: only got a few minutes left, so I want to ask you two more things. Go for it. The first thing is your work with Movember, yes. which I'd love to get in because obviously this is why we're here. Yeah. So tell me about that because that obviously led after you with your psycho. Actually, you just tell me. Okay.
0: Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so Movember are a, are, are a charity focused around... Um, men's health. So testicular cancer, prostate cancer, um, and suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, and mental health and I've experienced a fair few of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tick a lot of those moments. Yeah. I tick a lot of those boxes. I'm kind of the, <laughs> I'm like who they're aiming there or they're marketing at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Hence you being here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
0: they've put us together, which is great. Yeah. And, um, one of their main things around it is growing a Moe. Um, which obviously I can do as a man um, <laughs> and I'm very proud of my mo yeah. uh, and it's something that me and my dad used to do as well because um, it's got quite a strong oh, it's, it's got is. quite a strong connection with rugby. you often see quite a lot of rugby players growing mows and sporting For anyone them on who the doesn't field. know
1: a mo is a mustache a mustache sorry yeah
0: <laughs> grow a mo for a bro grow a mustache yeah. um, and fortunately i've been able to connect with a few people at the charity and this year in particular. Working alongside them in terms of um, helping to spread their campaign as much as possible, raise awareness um, around the topics of testicular cancer, prostate cancer, um, mental health, and suicide prevention, Mm -hmm. as well as raising money. Because obviously, the money is what helps them um,
1: uh, do the work.
0: Yeah, exactly, do the work. And do the research and find out the stats. And some of the stats are nuts, yeah. especially the suicide stats in young men. It's it's pretty scary. Mm. I think it's it's like one man a minute globally dies from suicide, oh my God. and it's the biggest killer of men under the age of forty five in the UK. Yeah, which for such a such a preventable thing, a man-made um, issue.
1: Yeah, why Not like, like a car it, exactly?
0: Yeah, it, it shouldn't be such a a widespread killer but unfortunately it is and so Movember are doing fantastic things to to try and break uh the stigma of um mental health um prevent people choosing to commit suicide and then yeah. obviously the the research around testicular and prostate cancer
1: and a lot of that is to do with speaking out isn't it which yeah. is exactly how you found your resident or you're on the path of healing if yes. i may use that term yeah. Let's go for it. <laughs> or that word yeah <laughs> some people are going oh cringe right. but the path that path of sort of finding peace with your grief or at least working through it yeah is that power of speaking out and um god it's just I don't. I literally don't think there's anything more powerful.
0: Yeah, well, that's what they say. A man of more words, essentially, is kind of one of their strap lines this year, mm. and it is encouraging. Like you said, men to be okay with not being okay, mm. and it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I think it's super.
1: And my last question that I ask everyone, okay, is you might not know this. No, let's see. If you haven't listened to my on podcast, on the spot, yeah. <laughs> if your dad was listening to this episode right now, wow. what would you want to say to him?
0: That's powerful, um it's funny. It's quite a good question actually, because I actually as part of my kind of recovery healing, I've almost taken times and moments to to write to him and speak to him and um significant moments of my sporting career in particular rugby and um what would I say to him? wow, um. I guess we had a we had a an amazing connection, but we probably didn't share an emotional connection enough. And I think simply, I would just tell him that I loved I love him, and because we probably didn't tell each other that enough, and it was that that deep that deeper emotional connection that that's probably something that is probably what I miss the most because we didn't we didn't share it. Because um yeah, I don't know why, but we it's something we should have dived into more. And I think just those sort of three simple words like I love you would be uh Yeah. Would be enough.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. You have been amazing and thank you for coming on to Daddy Issues.
0: Thank you very much for having me loved it
1: thank you so much for listening to my episode with alex davis his episode was so hugely moving because it touches on something i don't think we've touched so much on in daddy issues and it's that father and son relationship where you can be influenced so strongly by how your father's also been influenced in his life. This idea of being a man or this idea of being manly. It was amazing having him on and being so incredibly vulnerable and honest about his experience, which is actually still so incredibly new, but also for him to bring in that insight that I think a lot of guys probably experience in their life as well. And the absolute benefit that he's experienced having come from an upbringing of, you know, not necessarily connecting with his emotions to then connecting with those emotions and finding such freedom in it. So thank you so much for listening. If you like Daddy Issues Podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify, as it helps other people find us and get Daddy Issues to as many eyes and ears as possible. You can find the links to these on www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Warby Productions, who is the master of both sound and music ben and aaron at interface who have made my website and do all the graphic design and thank you guys for listening i love hearing your thoughts so don't hesitate to get in touch if there's anything at all that's affected or resonated with you and you'd like to get some support or follow up on anything that's been said previous guest and psychotherapist julia samuel has an incredible website www.griefworks.co.uk Once again, thank you so much and I hope you enjoyed the episode.